0: New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified." What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 13. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. This is the gospel of the Lord.
2: Would you uh, pray with me? May the words and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and Redeemer, amen. I've been in Philadelphia now for six years, and on my uh, top 10 list of things that I love most about Philadelphia, coming in at number six, is the hoagie. Philadelphia knows how to do hoagies, it's all in the bread. Now, maybe it ranks this high because I grew up on Subway. I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta uh, where the local Subway would do a BOGO special if you brought in your church bulletin. Subway, doing the Lord's work, getting bodies in the pews for a buy one, get one free cold cut trio. I still have the smell of Subway their version of fresh bread, ingrained into my memory. This morning, we get a BOGO special from Jesus. Two parables for the price of one. The parable of the mustard seed and the leaven in one sermon. These parables are short and to the point. And as we sit with them, they're a bit curious. Comic, if I could even say that. But somebody else says that as well. Frederick Buechner, a Presbyterian minister and a prolific author in his book, Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale*, He says this, I think that parables can be read as jokes about God in the sense that what they are essentially about is the outlandishness of God who does impossible things with impossible people. And I believe that the comedy of them is not just a device for making the truth that they contain go down easy, but that the truth that they contain can itself be thought of as comic. Parables can be a bit ridiculous, even comic. Want to know and understand the kingdom of heaven, this grand vision, and the healing that it offers for the world? Think of a mustard seed. Want to know how you might become a person who loves well? Think about how bread rises. Smell the hoagies. The outlandishness of the God who does impossible things with impossible people. These twin parables, like a couplet in poetry, saying the same thing, but together they say it better. And here is my outlandish point that I want us to see from these parables. God begins where you are, and it invites you to where he's going, and sustains you all the way through. God begins where you are, invites you to where he's going, and sustains you all the way through. First, let's begin with God beginning where we are. My wife, Mary, works um, at the HMS School, which is here in the neighborhood. It's a school for kids with cerebral palsy. It's uh, located just off of Clark Park. And every Friday, they bring in speakers from around the city. They've brought in uh, lawyers, they've brought in the mayor, they've brought in players from the Flyers, They've brought in um, chefs. And they bring in them in to share about what they do. And it gives the kids an opportunity to learn about the community. And it gives the community an opportunity to learn about these kids. And this one kid, Joey, he has a go-to question, his go-to interview question. This is what he asks, every time, without fail. What makes you smile? That's the best question because it gets right to the point of things. It cuts right to what makes you tick? What do you enjoy? What do you enjoy about what has been given to you in your day-to-day? I love listening to people talk about what they love, not just because they come alive, um, they brighten, but because you learn so much. You get the details. It could be about gardening. It could be about baking. It could be about sci-fi. When someone talks to you about what they love, they give you the nuances. They give you the subtleties. You learn so much more. The best teachers are the ones who love their subject. In these two little parables, we get Jesus talking about what he loves. He loves the kingdom. He loves what God is up to in the world. He loves God's people. He loves the birds that he made, and we get all the details that we so often miss. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed, proverbially known for how small it is, how tiny. Now, here are the stats about a mustard seed. One millimeter in diameter. It it would take about 725 of these seeds to fill up a single gram. This is, like, way smaller than even table salt. And yet it grows to about 10 feet in height rather quickly and has large leaves. A mustard seed, something so insignificant in appearance, you spill some of it, you don't even think twice about just scraping it to the, to the floor. This tiny, insignificant mustard seed. This is the mural of the kingdom. And what we are meant to see is not just about size. It's there, small to large. But it's about the power that's in this insignificant beginning. The beginning of this mustard seed, overlooked, Ordinary, yet growing to the tallest in the garden. Jesus, of course, is speaking to a crowd who is waiting for a new beginning. They have been waiting for God to act, waiting for change to come, waiting for his kingdom to arrive and in its fullness. And Jesus has been saying that this new beginning has come, that it's come in him. But here's the thing about Jesus. Here's the narrative that's been circulating about him. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? But now he's stepping forward as God's son? There's one who proclaims that he's bringing the good news to the poor. Does he not realize that he's the poorest of all? This insignificant, ordinary son of a poor carpenter is the one in whom God's kingdom is coming. If this is how God does his business, this says that God begins where we are. If this, if Jesus, is how God is bringing about his promised kingdom, his promised future, it says God comes to us. He doesn't stand up above us, giving us some idealized version of humanity and say, come to me. No, he comes down, he takes on ordinary flesh, he speaks to us, he walks with us, he's poor, he works with his hands, he builds furniture. When you think about a new beginning, or some change that you want in your life or relationship, where do you go? Where does your imagination go? Jesus says, think of a mustard seed. Think of this completely ordinary plant and it's completely insignificant beginning. Dallas Willard, um, a philosopher who uh, taught at the University of Southern Cal for a number of years, he's written extensively on philosophy and spiritual formation, he says this about where to start. Where transformation is actually carried out is in our real life where we dwell with God and our neighbors. First, we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. So where are you? What makes up your life? What is difficult? Where are you weak? Where are you vulnerable? Because God begins these ordinary, seemingly insignificant moments of your life, in your workplace, at your dinner tables, in your bed as you run through the litany of your day, of regrets or hopes for tomorrow. Bring these to him. This is the stuff that he tends to. This is the stuff that he grows into something great. But don't do it like we usually bring problems. If I come to you with a problem that I have, I can guarantee you I'm going to come until, I won't come until some understanding that I have of it, until some grasp that I have of my issue so that it appears that I'm a little bit more put together. That's how I'm going to come to you. Don't come to God like that. Come to God with whatever you have. Actually, the less put together, the better. The smaller, the better. Come to God like this, and then come to one another like this. Because God begins where we are, the ordinary mess and stuff of our lives. God begins where we are, but he also invites us to where he's going. We might have expected God's kingdom to be this regal oak or this uh, magnificent cedar or maybe a California redwood. Instead, we get a mustard It's not even a tree, (laughs) it's just a plant that can grow to the greatest of all, vegetables. It's comedy, it really is, the kingdom of God in its fullness, and it's a large vegetable plant. But it's just enough for the birds. Our denomination held its uh, national gathering this past week, and um, at one of the worship gatherings, uh, the pastor actually preached on this parable. And he said this about the greatness of a mustard seed, or of the mustard plant. Mustard's greatness has much to do with its versatility. It can thrive in sun or shade, in acidic or alkaline soil alike, in conditions that might seem inhospitable. And in how it grows and what it grows into, we have a sign of enough and more than enough. Enough and more than enough to survive. Enough and more than enough to provide shelter and solace. Enough and more than enough for humble creatures to find safety in its branches. Enough and more than enough for a dwelling place in its shade. Our metric for greatness gets reoriented around the mustard plant. Enough and more than enough provide hospitality for our neighbor. This is the work that God invites us into. It's a vision of hospitality. The hospitality of God, if you will. This call to reflect him, the one who desires to share his life with us, who has entered flesh and blood to dwell with us, among us, who is enough and more than enough for this world. This is something that we've wanted to be about from the very beginning of our church. This call to take up hospitality and be a place for humble creatures. At our best, we want to be a place that can create intentional space to get to know one another, to actually know the ordinary stuff that we live with. And this practice of hospitality, it it is so important and it can be so beautiful. And you do this so well, I kind of wanted to say that. So many of you do this so well, and I think it's because you get that it requires sacrifice. Because for hospitality to work, it requires sacrifice of time, a sacrifice of our own preferences even. To let others in, even often requires the sacrifice of our own vision of greatness. To be present to one another, to your family, to your friends, to be present to your neighbor. It means giving up your own interests. God begins where you are, invites you to where he's going, the hospitality of enough and more than enough. Today's Father's Day, a day that's meant for recognition and celebration of fathers and sacrifices that are made. And this day... Can often with it carry along this sense of regret or shame. And I think this can happen on any day that focuses in on you. I think this is the truth it could be said the same for Mother's Day, or for your own birthday. A day meant to celebrate you, but you feel the weight of your inadequacies. Or feel the weight of how you're just not who you thought you'd be at this point in your life. Do you feel that? When God invites us to go where he's going, he doesn't do it to to shame us. He loves us. And he reminds us that he sustains us all the way through. I want us to finish by looking at this parable of the leaven. I love this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Now, this isn't the yeast that you pick up in a packet, right? That was at the the grocery store. That was invented 150 years ago. This is fermented dough. This is dough that's left over from the previous week's week's batch. And it's got the microorganisms, it's got the wild yeast from the air, from the grain itself. It's been sitting over a week. This is the yeast that we're talking about here. Um, And it gets mixed in with three measures of flour. Three measures. That's a bushel. How much is a bushel? A bushel is huge. So if you go to the grocery store, likely what you're going to get on your, uh, at the um, baking aisle is a five-pound bag of flour. A bushel is 16 of those five-pound bags. That would like cover our communion table and probably spill over a little bit more. And then once you add the seven gallons of water that you need to make your country loaves, you're dealing with about 140 pounds of dough. This isn't just for the family, this is feeding the whole village. Now, once you mix the fermented dough in with the flour and the water, it now just becomes leavened dough. It all gets mixed in there together. You're not even able to see the leaven anymore. It's hidden, but it's at work. The kingdom is like this, hidden, indistinguishable. Alive, and at work growing. The very thing that Jesus says is at work in our world and in our lives is hidden. And this so often seems to confirm our doubts and our fears of whether God can actually do the impossible with us. But how does bread rise? Leave it to the priest who is also a baker to make this connection, Robert Farrar Capon. Maybe you've heard of him. He passed away just a few years ago. He was a regular contributor to the New York Times as a food columnist, a food critic, and he submitted several recipes. Maybe you've stumbled upon one of his. But he was also an Episcopal priest who wrote extensively, and his book on the parables has uh, been sort of a, um, a foundation for this sermon series. And so I have him to thank for this connection. How does the kingdom expand? How does yeast lighten dough? By filling it with thousands of tiny pockets of carbon dioxide. And how do those pockets of gas cause bread to rise? By expanding them when heated. Behold, therefore, the way the imagery of the leaven reflects and refracts scripture's other references to warm carbon carbon dioxide. That is, to breath, both divine and human. The whole kingdom of God operates on warm breath, the mystery that has been hidden since creation. It takes its origin from a father's breathed forth word, spoken for all eternity, brings the world out of nothing into being. It marches through its history under the guidance of a spirit, a ruach, a pneuma, a wind, a breath, who proceeding from the father speaking of the word confirms that word with signs following. And the imagery grows more and more complex. Jesus breathes out the spirit upon his disciples after his resurrection. After he has ascended, he sends the same spirit upon the church as a rushing mighty wind. And finally, when the church goes forth to announce the leavening of the world by all of this Trinitarian heavy breathing, it is by yet more warm breath, even by hot air, that the proclamation is made. For after the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Friends, your life in Christ is not sustained by your efforts, your sacrifices, or your best intentions. No, your life in Christ is sustained by the breathing in and out of God himself. His life sustains your life. invites us he begins where we are invites us to where he's going and he sustains you by his very life and breath in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit amen let's pray father we we welcome your breath into this place uh, that you would breathe life into us that we might know the saving mercies of jesus our savior that we might be enlivened uh, to take up uh, this place where you're going of hospitality, of opening up our lives to one another, sharing of the life that you've given. And so we ask that you would continue to meet us, continue to meet us in our worship as we come to your table and meet us as we go in our weeks. Amen. The offering is a time when we reflect on what God is teaching us. We offer our hearts, our gifts, and our lives to God. Let's do that now.